This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Parts of us, 157.83. The Pusik that we're going to talk about today is Tark Dala Pusik Yidalov. Tikurum Batamdun Atachazahor. You all came close. You stood right beneath the mountain. Harsinevahar Boer Bo Eshabliva Shemaim. The mountain was burning in a fire up until the heart of the heavens. Choshech Anan Barafel. There was darkness. There were clouds. And there was thick dark clouds. Vedavar Shamalechami Tochaesh and Pusik Yidbez. Hakarish Bar, who spoke to you from the fire. Cold Varmatam Shemaim. You heard a voice speaking to you. Tmunan Kamruin. But you did not see an image. Zulasi coal, only a coal. The Nitziv says, Vatikurum Vatamdu means everybody ran to the mountain with Zrizis, with alacrity, as well as love, desire, happiness. They all wanted to be there. They all wanted to, to be around, although the actual mountain was on fire and dangerous to be around. They knew how awesome this thing was going to be, how Harsina was going to be, but they wanted to approach. They just were, they knew what was there. They should have been afraid. None of them were, says the Nitziv. They didn't care about their own bodies. They just ran to greet HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Zion of the Torah says it's for this reason that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Karuv Lechol Asher Yikaru Ve'emes. As we say in Asher, he's close to anybody who calls out to him. We wanted to be close to him, so we ran to hear him speak at Harsina, and therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs to hear us in all of our tefillahs. Had we not done so, if we wouldn't have run to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who knows if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would run to us. We wanted to come close to so Hashem wants to be close to us. One of the Rishonim says, Tachazahar means right next to the bottom of the mountain. Whenever you have something taller than something else, the words Al and Tachas are used, even if it's just compared to one of the other things, even if it's not literally one on top of the other, right? As in Parshas Vayera, it's Nitzavim Alav, the Malachim were standing on him. They weren't literally, they were right by Avram, and they were standing up while he was sitting down, therefore it was like they were on top of him. The people still thought that they were going to die, but that's because they saw the tremendous fires surrounding the mountain, not because they were literally underneath a mountain when it says that they were Tachas Ahor, right? Now, obviously, we all know the Medrash. The Medrash is that the massive mountain was on top of them, and it was Kafalein Harkigigis, and right, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, either accept the Torah, you're going to die, etc. But the Rashbam is understanding that Tachas Ahor is not to be taken literally. It just means by the mountain, but they were below it, so therefore it's called Tachas Ahor. However, the Rabbeinu Ephraim says, Tachas Ahor is a gematria of 1,018, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu then put the Harkigigis on top of them. It's off by one. Kolal, based on the Gemara and Shabbos, this is not going to be the focus of our share over here. We're not going to talk about the concept of Kafalein Harkigigis. That's something that we did at previous points. But he obviously takes the words Tachazahor to be literal. That's the Rabbeinu Ephraim. Mamloes talks about it at length. He talks about what happened. Why the Malachim had to get involved? Why a Baruch had to force them to accept the Torah when they already said Nasa twice and Nasa Vinishma once? There are four reasons that are given for this. Either because they would, I, I guess, because they saw they would have to give up their lives for Torah, right? Or because of Torah Shabal Peh. In other words, that's why he had to be forced. They saw they would have to be mysterious Nefesh. Or it's Torah Shabal Peh. They didn't know that was going to be added on, so they had to accept that. And that was Kafalein Harkigigis. Or to give an Israel the din of an Anus. So when they did something wrong, they couldn't technically be divorced. Or they would have an excuse when they sinned later on that they never wanted to accept it in the first place. One of those four reasons the Amelis talks about that, there are other reasons given by other Rishonim. The Amelis says that there are a few reasons why the mountain, why Harsina was surrounded by fire, clouds, and darkness. Darkness and clouds refer to the Shechina, he says, right? That's hidden from our world, yet is always present and is always there. It should be a reminder for everyone that they got to be careful and they can't sin whatsoever since God is always watching. These seven comparisons, there, there, I, I guess, these there are seven comparisons between 
fire and Torah itself. So let's go through some of them. Some of them are mentioned in Amalei, some by the Abarbanel, etc. Fire reaches up to the sky as if to say the fire wants to be up in Shemaim itself. Learning Torah pushes one to reach the heavens above as well. Fire protects one from dangerous things. So to HaKadosh Baruch who is with them, protecting them from whatever they need. Fire was given to us as a gift from above. So too was Torah, right? That was a gift from above. Fire helps the world go around, creates food, right? Clean drinking water, etc. And so does the Torah allow the world to continue to exist. That's four. Number five, fire benefits us in this world and the next. Torah does the same. I assume what it means by fire benefits us in the next world is referring to Gehenna in Olam Haba that cleanses us in order to become greater. Fire can cause a mark on a person. Torah can cause a person to look different from the other people who don't learn Torah. And number seven, if someone comes too close to fire, you can be hurt very badly. So too, when it comes to Torah, coming too close to Torah or Talmidah Chamim can cause a person to be burned. That's the idea behind it. The Yushalmi Chagiga Perpes Allah Aleph brings an unbelievable story about Avuya, Elisha's father, Elisha and Avuya Acher, his father. When Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua were learning by his bris, Elisha ben was having his bris, and Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania were both learning. They, they saw all the partying that was going on. They said, they get their own thing, we'll do our own thing. They sat in the corner and they started learning, and their a tremendous amount of learning caused a fire to surround them, right? And that's that, right? They, he went up to them, Avuya went up to them, and said, what's going on? What, you want to burn down my house? And Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eliezer said, you don't have anything to worry about. This is from our Torah. And Avuya said, I want my son to be like these two Tamini Chamitosis. Use this in the Gemara Chagiga as a reason why Elisha Movia never became greater than he did, that Elisha Movia never could grow himself even higher, and the reason why is because Avuya wanted him to become a Tamachacham, Shalolashem Shamayim, right? And that's that. Chagiga, Yudalim Abbas, says the same thing happened to the Talmidim of Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai, the other Talmidim, such as Rabbi Yosia Cohen, Rabbi Elazar ben Aruch, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Elazar, when they were learning these types of Kabbalah, when they darshan the Merkabah in front of him, that a fire surrounded them. So we see that concept of the fire going around them, just like at our Sinai, Tosfos, Brachos, Yudzayim Abbas, says a fire surrounded the when they learned in the Kala, the Dorsh and the Kala, that was like the, the speeches that they would do in Adar and Elo every single year. This only happened for those people who learned Torah properly in the best possible way, right? Like it was meant to be learned on Har Sinai. And therefore, what re- what happened on Har Sinai repeats for them. All of this, says the Parsios, is hinted to in these Psukim where it says, Vahar Boer Boesh, that the mountain was burning in a fire. The Aznan Torah says the idea of having Esh and Arafel together, this Esh and the darkness together, is that the Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu as Esh Levan and Esh Shchira, right? That's Shkalem, Tazayim, and Al. The white fire may be referring to the cloth of the Torah, while the Esh Shchira, the blackened fire, is the black letters, which looks like Choshech. That may be what this combination is referring to, and that's really exactly what it's supposed to be. That's the concept of Hirsch says. The difference between the words Anan and Arafel, that cloud and the darkness, is something that needs explanation, he says, says Hirsch. We know that an Anan is a cloud, right? Specifically when particles of water still spread as vapor. That's the idea behind the cloud itself. There are thin clouds. There are thin clouds, like the cirrus clouds, or like cumulus clouds that could be blown away really easy by the wind. And Arafel is something thicker, he says, almost like a bandage pressing the water, waters closer together, right, causing a very thick cloud cover, right, and seems to form a sort of darkness. And Eu of Parakhov Beis talks about Yeshayan and Hey, Yirmiya, Yud Gimel. It could be referring to a dark overhanging rain cloud in which the water vapor is already formed into raindrops and it's already ready to fall. That would explain the words Yarov Kam that my Torah is like Araf, again, that word Arafel, like the rain in Parsha Zinu, and Afshamav Ya'arfu Tal in Parsha Zosa Bracha. What this seems to mean in our case, right, when it comes to the Arafel itself, is that all around the area there was a deep darkness. It was surrounded, and the only place where Kaddish Baruch wished his word to come from was lit up by his fire. That means everybody's attention was riveted to that spot, and everything they heard and saw clearly came from a Baruch and not from anywhere else. What... 
The Rokeach says a little bit differently. He says, Anan, the cloud, right, is something weak, similar to the color white. Choshech is a very thick cloud. Cheshchas Maim Avesh Chokim in Tehillim Yudches. Arafel is a cover on the inside, so they don't look at the covered within, so they wouldn't be able to see any further. This doesn't seem to work well with Hirsch's explanation, but the concept is that it's not a cloud, it's a mamish cover. There's something that's absolutely covering. The Malbim calls this the concept of Aspaklaria Sheinamira, meaning a vision that's not exactly the clearest in the world, as if you're seeing it through opaque glass, right? So, B'nai Yisrael, we're not on the level of receiving Nivu, like Moshe, but on the level of Aspakalaria, Hameira, where he's able to see the, as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu was talking to him directly. And that's why these thick clouds were absolutely necessary. They couldn't see through it. It was like an opaque vision. Moshe, Rabbeinu was able to see through the Ruffle, which he calls a thin stream of vapor. That's how the Malvin puts it, unlike Refer Shabbat. And therefore, he saw what was on the other side. Moshe Nigash El Ha'Rafel. That's the concept. The people, however, had an Anan, a thicker cloud that did not allow light to travel travel through to the other side, and then Choshech, right, which is an even thicker cloud on top of that. Normally when Nevuah happens in this fashion, you have Nevuah in this way, it becomes a picture for them to see, and then Nevi'im are then asked to translate that picture and figure out what a Kodesh Baruch was telling them. Similar to the ladder of Yaakov, you know, the Malach fighting him later, the menorah of Zechariah, right? And the throne above above for Yechezkel, what he was able to see, etc. Here, Moshe Binah tells the people they were never supposed to see a picture. Utmuna inchem roim. You did not see a picture. You didn't see a vision. You didn't see what the other Nevi'im saw in their Aspaklaria She'ena Me'ira, right? For fear that whatever image they saw could represent God in their minds. And that obviously would be scary for them. That would be misinterpreted. That's not what Hashem wanted. Instead, they would be seeing words. And that was the vision that they saw. The actual message that Baruch wanted to give them could be seen in the fire in the clouds. They could see what Baruch wanted to tell them, which is the closest thing that we can get to Aspaklaria Hamiira. Aspaklaria Hamiira, again, is that clear vision in which you're seeing something in front of you. However, it's like as if you're speaking to Akadosh Baruch This is the vision of the words of Akadosh Baruch without Akadosh Baruch so to speak, appearing in there. That's what they were able to see. There's Tafarasi Onison over here and it's Tarpshat, the Oznayim Latorah as well that speaks about it. But this Malbim is an unbelievable Malbim. Album. The Orachim Akadr says something very similar based on Shir Shem Rabbah on the Pesach Yashkeni in Shir Shem. Every diva that came up by Kaddish Baruch Hu's mouth created a brand new Malach that stood above each person in Kalah Yisrael and asked him if he or she would accept that word or not. When they said yes, the Malach would then br- hug them and become a crown on top of their heads. We don't know what would have happened had they said no. Thank God they didn't, right? But this is what it means by the words, Kold Varim. The words became a coal through the Malach created for them, but that's the coal devarim. It's a coal, a Malach made of words, and he translates the word coal, or Chaim HaKadosh, as an actual Malach itself. One can say even further that even B'nai Yisrael only heard the first two Dibros from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, while the other eight had to be delayed while they were brought back to life and carried back by the Malach. And remember, B'nai Yisrael died, and they had to be carried back since they flew 12 mil away from the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Those eight they heard from the Malach themselves created from those Dibros, from those Aserah's Dibros, not from Moshe Rabbeinu, apparently. And each one stood over the person until it was their time to speak. When they accepted it, that's when the hugging began, hugging time. This is clearly what the Apostle meant in Parshish Yisro, when it says, Roim Esa Kolos, they were able to see the Kolos. They saw the Malachim, not Dibros, not the voices, so to speak, but they saw the Malachim created from the Dibros, and that's what it refers to. Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid they might think that what they had seen was not Malachim, chas v'shalom, but Hashem. Oy, and how could they? And they would think something bad. That's why he told them, Tmuna in Hamroim. That was not a Tmuna. Those were actual Malachim that were created, but it's not a picture. You never saw an image of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Zulasi Kol. That's how the Orchai and Kaddish Baruch said. Only a Malach representing a Dibor of a Kaddish Baruch Hu that is called a Kol. However, Tzfaris Yonason says, it was a Kol and not a Malach. 
right? The point was for the Dibros to come from him, from God, and not from them. If they saw the actual coal coming from Malachim, it would be a problem. Now, again, the Orach HaMikadosh kind of took care of that by saying that the coal was Malachim served, that were created from them accepting the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But either way, therefore, he says they could not be seen. And this is how the Tverzim said, that's what the Pesach means, Tumuna Ein Khamri, you couldn't even see Malachim. You couldn't see a single Malach there. A little bit against the Orachim HaKadosh, but the basic same idea. The Rokeh says that Devarim Einam Shomim is Mamasha Sadibur. They didn't see the actual Dibur, unlike the other nations, who only heard a Kolavara, they heard nothing else, right? So Devarim Atem Shomim, and that's the idea. This Rebbe gives opinion in the Mechilta, in Shmos Parachav, that they saw and heard something that could be seen and heard at the exact same time. So they were able to see both. Miam says that's why the letters were able to fly away when they sinned by the Egel Azov because they had mamashis. They were able to be seen. That's the concept that Rokeach was saying as well. The sins of Klaiso literally took them away from the Luchos. The funny thing is, usually a coal needs something mamash that it comes from. You have to have a, a person that has a voice that is allowing a coal to be in the world, even though it itself is not physical. Here, the coal itself was physical, but it seemed to come from absolutely nothing because they didn't see a tumuna that it could be based on. Rebuda Asad is of the opinion this is absolutely necessary. The people needed to know that this is not a magic trick of Moshe Rabbein and it was not just somebody throwing their voice pretending to be God. In order for them to believe and absolutely believe that it was happening, they had to actually see the voice, see the words, and know that it was coming. When they saw this, they knew it was from HaKadosh Baruch they had no more doubts. This also allowed them to realize that although they heard a voice that came from above, that came up from Shemayim itself, Right? They couldn't see anything at all. They weren't able to see anything at all, which meant that it was true that Kosh Baruch was not a physical being. He was not just a person, but rather beyond our world. They didn't see any Tumuna, but they certainly heard the coal. Now they understood Kosh Baruch a little bit better, and they knew that that's what they were always going to have, a coal, but not a vision. Meloa Omer says, even though they didn't see a picture of Kosh Baruch they did see the letters, similar to what the Rokeach said, and that still made them assume there was some Gashmias to Kosh Baruch which is why they sinned with the Azov. They even used this as an excuse to do so, Ayin Shum, as to why they use that as an excuse, but again, it, it's the exact opposite of what the Orachayim HaKadosh wanted, what the Tavaris Yonason wanted, and the Orkeach, right, what they weren't supposed to do, they did exactly that according to the Meloah Rowan. So, Amelo uh, Omar, I'm sorry. The Nitziv's opinion is similar, but not exactly the same. They saw something wondrous, something that couldn't be explained, right, and something they couldn't tell other people. They didn't see pictures from the cold that went out from Harsinai. They only saw Tsurasa Osios through flames of the fire itself. Aksavah Kabbalah brings this as a third shot altogether. Now, Zion the Torah says this is a message for all of us. We don't need an image or an icon to remind ourselves that God exists. A coal is good enough. Tumuna in Chamruim. You don't have to see a Tumuna. Zulasi Kol, if you know the voice of a Baruch which for us would be like learning the Torah itself. Why do you need anything more than that? You need to absolutely prove by seeing something in front of you? Not necessary. Yaakov number 141 also talked about a Bosco over here. The Ibn Ezra, however, says the exact opposite. The way to understand this passage is that Zulasi Kol does not mean you saw the voice of a Kaddish Baruch That's not what it means. Since that's impossible, you can't see noises. Instead, this is the only sense that was working at the time. You couldn't see anything because of the thick cloud cover, so your eyes weren't working. There was nothing to touch, to smell, or to taste. Right? Although the Medrash does say that it smelled like any but either way, it's not that all you had was your sense of hearing. And because nothing else was working, your sense of hearing was very acute. And these words, the Aserah Sidibris, is exactly what you heard and nothing else. That's also how one would explain the Pasuk of Parshat Yisro. The Chola on Roim Esakolos. They could see it the noises, because their ears were so acute, it felt like they were able to see it, but not that they actually were able to see anything. Haksafa Kabbalah says that's what the Balik Pshat say, but the problem is, why would that have to be repeated earlier, 
right? If earlier in the Pasuk, it already said, kol devarim atem shomim. Zulasi kol seems to be unnecessary. If it already says, kol devarim atem shomim, you already know that you heard something. What's zulasi kol? We know zulasi kol. You just said, kol devarim atem shomim. That's the problem with how he understands the Ibn Ezra's Peshat. The Abravanel says the exact same thing as the Ibn Ezra, but one difference. This wasn't the kolos referred to in Parshas Yisro. That, that was thunder, right? Along with the lightning that came together, and therefore it was able to be seen as lightning when the thunder went out. This was called Varim. It was the word, says the Abarinel, and it was so loud, it felt like you could see the words being told in front of you. So again, it's similar to the Ibn Ezra, that you're not seeing anything, you're only hearing, but it's different from the coal at the other end. That's why you could say it was both, right? And that kind of answers Aksava Kabbalah's question. There were two coals. There's the coal of the lightning and the thunder, and there's the coal of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's voice, which is the only thing that they heard at the time. Refers says, it's a message of some sort. You knew it was meant for you, right? Not anybody else. And you knew it was actual words, not some mental awareness that entered your head. That's not what it was. It was heard by your ears, not just your mind. And nonetheless, he says, there was no form or outline that you were able to see. That's not something there. Super interesting, by the way, the Chassam Sofer and Taurus Moshe, he combines these two and says that they saw the actual letters and the words of the first two Dibros. But the last eight, they only heard a voice, but they did not see anything itself. That's a super interesting way. So the first one was that way, but the last two. So the Ibn Ezra and the Abarbanel for the last eight, and for the first two was sort of like the other opinions before. The Ramban says the words literally came out of the fire, as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu was speaking from within them. He then told them the Ten Commandments, allowing Moshe Ben his Nabi to explain all of them to them, right along with the rest of the mitzvahs. Chizkuni points out, this Pusik sounds contradictory. If the mountain is on fire, then it couldn't be filled with darkness. Fire is light. It's not darkness. He says, Somehow both the fire and the darkness worked at the exact same time. I guess a massive cloud cover when you knew that there was a fire there as well. That's because although there was a massive fire, they couldn't see anything through it as if it was darkened through clouds. That's the idea behind it. That's because we were never given permission to see any images or anything that would represent a Kaddish Baruch Hu. As we said before, it would confuse people. That would be illogical to have. That's Chas Shalom says the Chizkuni. The Malbim says the sort of darkness is Ish. I don't know what that means exactly. Too much fire can cause blindness and paralysis. So that's how both can be used over here. The Tzaretzonus from and Ibshit says, Mitocha Ish means B'nai Israel asked to be out of Mazel and have nothing to do with the natural order of the world from this point on. Hashem said, no, they would still be under Mazel. But he spoke Mitocha Ish, which means from within the Mazel itself, right, that they would have the ability to learn Torah, to daven properly, and be able to be under the Mazel. As the Gemara and Shabbos says, Kufnun Vavam and Aleph and Omid Beis, right, with the stories of Shmuel and Avlat, right, it's Rabbi Kiva and his daughter, the famous daughter when, he, you know, when she, when she got married, possibly Ben Azai, and she killed the snake, and Nachabar Yitzchak and his kippa, all of those. That's the idea behind it. And the concept is that we're going to be above that mazel. We're above the space. We're above all time. And that's what it means, mitocha ish. Does Naim Torah wonders why this whole parsha is in past tense, as if it already happened, except for Pasuk Yud which says Shomim and Roim. They hear and they see as if everything's happening in the present itself. He suggests that Moshe told the people to never forget this day of Matan Torah, which is a mitzvah that we say every day, Raki, Shomelecha, Shmon, Avshachom, Pentishkacha, Zedavrim, etc. That it should be in your minds always, and you should never forget it, you should always remember what it is. You heard the 613 mitzvahs yourself, right? You were able to make this diff- nation different from everybody else from what you heard. This then made Moshe Benu very worried. Maybe you'd use this memory, right, for evil similar to what Korach did, thinking they're great themselves. They don't need any leader. They don't need anything more than that. Maybe they're going to be machadish things in Torah that were never permitted to do, such as techeles talas, right? Which is what Korach did. Or a room full of svarim that wouldn't need a mezuzah. For this reason, HaKadosh Baruch told Moshe to do something that they that he would have never done on his own. But he was an un of Mikoladom. He was on a higher level of nivua than all of them. That's why Hashem told him that. He told them, you heard a call. 
but nothing more than that. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them. You heard a call. You didn't see an Etimuna. You saw nothing more. You didn't do anything. But I did, said Moshe Rabbeinu. I saw it. I was able to have the, I was able to see something that none of you were able to see. Therefore, I have the ability to change something or do something different. I'm able to be machadish and create something out of nothing, right? But not you. And that's what he told them. That's a crazy pshat, says Zayim Torah. That's the pestle that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was worried about. A pestle, the idea behind it. Not an actual idol, but they would think themselves as too great, great enough to be able to do things on their own, to change the Torah to fit their narrative. Moshe told them they will never be able to do that because they're never on the level to do that. Or else, it could be reminding everyone, this is again the Zayim Torah is trying to say, because that even though they weren't born then, their nishamos were definitely at Harsina. They heard the Ten Commandments along with all of Klal Yisrael who were alive at the time. It's in present tense because this revelation was for everyone at all times, continuing even today. Hayom, in Bekol Zishmo, I guess, as Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was told by Mashiach, that Kol Hashem is always there for us no matter where we go. The first idea of the Islamic Torah is said in a different way by the Nitziv. He says it interestingly. He points out that if one looks at Parshat Yisrael, he'll see that it's Kasher Diver Hashem Yimachem, as Hashem spoke to you. While in Parshat Vazchan, it's Kasher Diver Hashem Aleichem, to you. So this is because Zahor, which is Parshas Yisro, and the Aserah Bros there, was heard by all of Yisrael, while Shamor, which is Parshas Vashanan, and their Aserah Bros, was only heard by Moshe and the Zahor and Shamor by Shabbos itself. The rest of the people could hear, all they could hear was another voice saying something else, but they couldn't hear what it was. They heard Zahor, and they knew there was something else, but they're missing it. But Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who was able to see it. They, to them, it was just a cold Devarim, but it was an actual Devarim that they were able to hear with their ears. They just knew something else was said. Moshe Shevna was telling them, you heard something go out, but you weren't sure exactly what it was. I was able to tell you what I saw. And I can tell you that it was Shamor, because I saw something different. When you guys heard Zachor, I heard Shamor. An unbelievable shot. Maybe that would go with all of them, right? By There's another Medrash that says, that you're not allowed to make any idols. But there's another, uh, the, the Medrash says, but then it says, that you have to make two Kruvim, which technically is a Pestle and a Tumuna. Why are you allowed to make that? And the shot is, Moshe Rabbeinu heard that second part, but the Bnei Yisrael only heard the first part. It could be something like that within the Esteros of Victor Miller brings two Two different opinions about this based on the Medrash Rabbah itself. It's possible that Bnei Yisrael heard exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu did. They were all on the same level as Moshe Rabbeinu at that moment. It's also possible they heard a sound that Moshe understood what was the first two commandments, and then he explained to them what it was later on. Either way, they were filled with terror, whether they heard or they didn't hear it, and they thought they were going to die, and yet they still unanimously consented to accept the Torah, even though they knew it might be that they're all going to die from it, which is an amazing level of Klai Yisrael. Panam says his first explanation that we're equal to Moshe Rabbeinu is exactly what will be in the future when Moshiach comes. We will all beyond that level when it comes. We'll all gain from it tremendously. Although the Torah says there will never be another Navi like Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's true. He is the only Navi that will ever be this way. It's possible that's only true in this world. But when Mashiach comes, at some point, we don't know when, it's possible that everybody will be able to be on that level, that Aspaklari Hamir will be accessible by anyone. We'll all be able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch in the most wonderful way. Have a good Shabbos, everyone. That was Parshas Va'aschan in 5783. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.